This episode is brought to you by Hostfully. Using Hostfully, you can create a free digital guidebook for your listing so that you can save time creating a professional experience for every guest that comes and visits your spot. Learn more at hostfully.com. Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad. Welcome to another episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. And today I am discussing the April news updates with Marco, CEO of Hostly. Marco, how are you? Hello, everybody. Good day to you. It's a, it's a very rainy day here in Singapore. I just got back from a scuba diving trip in Tio Man Island. And if you're into scuba diving and if you're into tropical islands, Tioman Island, Google image it and you'll see it's, it's a really amazing island. So it was super, super fun. Awesome. Yeah, I just got back yesterday from Legoland in Carlsbad, California, right near San Diego. <laughs> a very different trip than yours, but also really great if you have young kids. So actually highly recommend it, even though I, I really hate amusement parks. We had a lot of fun as a family. That sounds great. What else have you been up to this month? Any, anything interesting in Airbnb related? Yeah, I was actually at um, the VRMA Spring Forum event, which was in Charlotte, North Carolina last week. And it was so fun to be at that event. It was, um, the VRMA has an international event, which is in October this year. And they used to have these kind of bi-coastal events. And so this one was supposed to be the smaller one. But I was talking to some folks at VRMA and the event just got bigger and bigger. And I think they had upwards of like 350, 400 different property managers there and a lot of exhibitors, and it was really fun gathering. It was a great um, great experience. I got a chance to talk to a lot of people about property management, where it's headed, and hear some of their concerns about, like, for, for example, how Google is indexing listings and um, also how they should be growing their business, and it was, it was just a really awesome experience. I, I had a lot, of, a lot of fun. Any interesting insights? Um, well, I got to go to the conference because I was a speaker um, and I spoke about using storytelling to do better advocacy for property managers in their local regions. And that was really fun. Um, but my big insights that I learned that were fresh to me were that the vacation rental is thinking about some important topics, just like the rest of businesses. And um, these are things like how to create a great work environment so that you can hire and retain the best people and so that those people can give great service to your customers. Um, how to think about social impact and what your business does for the community around it and also how to use some of those things that you might be already doing to better market your property management company. Um, and then the third thing was, um, and it was so obvious, I can't believe that I haven't thought about this before, but how property managers or vacation rental managers can make um, the travel experience safer for women and particularly single women traveling for work, which is what I do all the time. Um, but uh, thinking about things like making sure the entry is easy to operate and making sure you're really on it when you need to respond to, you know, issues with access to the unit or issues with doors not working or locks not working. 
um, there were some really great tips in that session around how vacation rentals can be made better and feel more safe for women. And I actually wrote a blog post about it that I'm going to be pushing out soon. So it'd be really fun to share that with this audience, um, which includes some best practices that were mentioned in that session. Awesome. Well, let me know when it's out. Thanks. Yeah. I'll let the audience know. Um, <laughs> let's see. There's a, a number of updates that we are going to discuss. Um, I wanted to start with an update on the Airbnb experiences. Uh, it's uh, it's been a while since we've heard about experiences and since we have gotten any any good updates and numbers on it, uh, which uh, led me to believe that it wasn't really going that well. But now in I saw an interview in Skift, and uh, it's an interview by Diana Ting, who writes a lot about uh, Airbnb and short-term rentals, and she interviewed. Uh, Zade, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I know his nickname at Airbnb is Joe Bot. He used to be the VP of product and he now is the VP of experiences. Mm-hmm. And so his job yeah. is really to grow uh, experiences like Joe Zadi is his name. Is it pronounced that way? Do you know? I don't know. Z-A-D-E-H or something like that's that, right? right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I'm not so, going to guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just call him Joe Bot. Uh, I guess maybe maybe people call him Joe Bot because they're having trouble with his surname too, but also yeah. because I think he's he was responsible. Uh, he's kind of the man behind the, the Airbnb website, the functionality of the website, I think. And so he's done an amazing job because I, I really think the Airbnb website is very user-friendly. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's dive into the experience. So the experiences were launched in November 2016 at the Airbnb Open in Los Angeles, um, which was the last event that Airbnb has done. And I don't think there's going to be another Airbnb Open in the future um, but there's going to be an event that will be organized by myself, and I'll talk about that later in the podcast. But um, uh, yeah, they started with 500 experiences in 12 cities, and they have now expanded to over 30,000 experiences available in over 1,000 cities globally. So that's actually that's actually a a pretty impressive growth in this, the time span is about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have seen a lot of growth. Now we have to, I have to say that obviously it's easier to grow a product when you already have millions of users using your platform. Uh, but still, uh, I think uh, I think that's that's pretty reasonable. Now the other big question that people have, um, you know, one of the reasons I think that Airbnb wants to expand into this new type of businesses is uh, for for their to make it more interesting for investors, right? And so the question also is, are they, are they able to make money with experiences? And uh, this question was asked to to Joe, and he didn't want to comment on that, which t- tells me that uh, they're probably not making money with experiences yet, which is understandable because they're vetting every single experience. Mm-hmm. One of the other interesting things of the in the article is that um, Joe said that they actually refuse most of the applications uh, because they really want to focus on the quality of the experiences. And it seems like that's paying off because over 90% of reviewers are giving Airbnb experiences five stars. So that's a pretty high percentage. So if you need people to vet every single experience, then obviously that's, that, uh, that jacks up the costs quite a lot. 
but well, uh, yeah. overall, overall, it seems like a pretty, uh, pretty positive uh, news on on that front. Even though it, you know, it was obviously uh, Joe's a uh, little biased uh, in his opinion. I'm, I'm yeah, but the other thing is, like, if you just think about the economics of experiences, I I would bet money that the average cost of an experience is much lower than the average cost of a booking. And even if Airbnb is charging a higher percentage um, of that for it, you know, for the to provide the service as a platform, there's just a little bit less money to be made for each additional experience that comes onto the platform as opposed to an additional property, right? Um, but the interesting thing comes when this market gets really big because tourism activities has historically been, been like the impenetrable part of travel and that there's no dominant player because the um, all tours and activities are spread out all over the world and there's huge variability in how you would want to book and price and, and position all of these different offers. Um, and so Air, what Airbnb is trying to do is like do a more careful approach where they're curating it. And so I agree with you, the startup costs are higher, but I'm sure that they expect that this part of their business, while it makes money, it's probably not going to be as profitable as quickly as it will down the road. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I just assume the average cost of experience is about, I don't know, 50 to $100, where it's like the average cost of a booking is probably like, you know, 100 to $200. So right there, you've got a big difference in economics and the upside to Airbnb is much smaller. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's a, it's a smaller price ticket. And then also they have to hire many more people to, to vet every experience, right? So mm -hmm. the economics are definitely not, not as good. Um, there's uh, another interesting thing that I read is that you know initially when they launched experiences they they thought it was going to be like a more of an immersive thing where people uh, where people do like a one day or even a two day experience but uh, they've now shortened it a lot they're focusing much more on like shorter experiences of a couple hours or a morning afternoon or an evening so mm -hmm. that's an interesting shift and focus that they that they've done yeah, I mean, don't you think that kind of fits more into like how people are used to spending money when they travel to on tours and activities? Like people are used to booking like half day trips, bus trips and tours and, you know, scuba diving lessons, right? For like a half a day. So I think it just, it's going to fit more, it fits more into the model of like how people are expecting to plan their trip. It's kind of interesting to see that they wanted to try to experiment the other way, right? To say it would, it would be more immersive and like multi-day, but I think this is just more expected, expected from a consumer standpoint. Yeah, no, I agree. When you're traveling, let's say you're traveling a week or so, then you know, taking a whole day out of your uh, vacation to, to go on an activity is kind of uh, a, lot, a lot to ask her. It's easier mm -hmm. to do like a few hours. So, um, so yeah, and, and what you mentioned before that uh, the market is kind of um, scattered. There's, no, there's not mm -hmm. like one major... Uh, uh, player dominating dominating the space, but there are a couple platforms out there um, mm -hmm. that is that are competitors. Like Peak is, I think, the best known one, or the, at least it's the one that uh, that I have known about for for quite a, a while. Um, so Peak.com, and then also there's there's one called Kluk, like K L O O K, but I think those platforms are more focused on just um, you know, getting activities that already exist, mm -hmm. right? So, for example, I was I was just checking out some activities in Amsterdam on Kluk, 
And it's like the, you know, it's the usual suspects. It's the kennel crews. It's the, you know, it's the museums. It's the Heineken experience. And so these are already existing activities that mm-hmm. you can then, you know, you can book tickets for those activities on the platform, whereas Airbnb is more focused on, on, on creating new experiences, right, with, with local people. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit of a different focus. Yeah, I mean, um, so, and, and just, I was just looking up um, Peak and Fluke in advance of this uh, on, on Crunchbase, and Peak has raised about 40 million all in, and then Kluke has raised like over 500 million, so they have grown, I mean, you could just kind of, you could sort of ascertain the size of their uh, business from that, um, so Kluke is a much bigger company, but Peak is, has a lot of cachet, at least here in Silicon Valley, they've got some really um, well-known investors like Eric Schmidt, um, who is a really well-known travel investor, um, also, Jeff Doniker, who we just happened to be in contact with as well, who, who was actually the CEO of Yelp for many years. Um, he's also an investor of that company. And so anyway, these two, these are two companies that are providing these platforms that have like these kind of standard tours and activities attached to them. Um, it will be interesting to see how they do, but I, I think they're both doing pretty well at this point. Um, I keep hearing about them and, and that they're, they're successful, whatever that means at this point. <laughs> Yeah, be, I wish them the best. I think it's an interesting model. Yeah, it'd be interesting to interview somebody who's doing real, really well on Airbnb experiences, by the way. So I, th- I think I'm going to uh, look out for somebody. But uh, if you're listening to this and you are an experienced host, then feel free to email me at jesper at getpaidforyourpet.com and maybe we can do a podcast episode on, on experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Airbnb has invested quite a lot of money in a company called Lyric. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I'm not sure they Lyric raised 160 million dollars, uh, which is uh, quite a lot. And Airbnb participated in the in this raise. Mm-hmm. That's right. Lyric um, is the sister company of Wheelhouse which you may have heard of. They provide a dynamic pricing solution. Um, we host this platform as a partner of theirs, full disclosure. And so uh, we were happy and surprised uh, to see that they have raised so much money. Um, I think that they're going to be expanding beyond their current value proposition with a raise like that. Um, there are also some other companies that have raised a lot of money recently that are kind of, changing their business model like ClearBank. I don't know if you, you know about them. Yeah. Um, they, uh, so they raised money to basically be a bank, right? They're going to be, and they've pivoted quite a bit. So they're like, what they're doing is basically issuing loans to, um, to startups to help fund growth. And then you pay them back on a commission of your revenue. Um, so that was a total pivot from ClearBank. Um, anyway, I'm just talking, I'm mentioning that because Lyric just raised a ton of money and we don't really know exactly what it's for. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. Yeah. And I actually interviewed the Lyric CEO, Andrew Kitchell in episode 71 when he was still the CEO of price method, which was essentially they rebranded price method to wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to listen to Andrew, who's a pretty interesting guy, you can listen to him in episode 71. Hi, my name is Margot, and I'm the CEO of Hostfully. 
We are on a mission to make local travel a lot better, and we're starting with digital guidebooks to make that happen. Using Hostfully digital guidebooks, which work great on any mobile device on desktop and in print, you can share important property information and local recommendations with your guests. You can also save time and create a great guest experience that each traveler will appreciate. Hostfully guidebooks are very fast to make, and we've included some advanced features where you can feature your custom logo, your colors, custom categories, and essentially your brand. Please take a chance to check us out at hostfully.com. All right, let's see. Um, there was an article on uh, Barcelona, which is uh, to, of my interest because uh, I live there, <laughs> kind <laughs> of. Uh, although I'm, I'm But who not... doesn't love Barcelona? I mean, I was only there twice, but it's like one of my favorite places too. So I want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I haven't lived anywhere for 10 years and I wasn't planning on living in Barcelona and I just rented an Airbnb there for a month and I just didn't want to leave. Uh, so, so, yeah, I, I definitely think Barcelona is one of the best places to be on earth. But there's a, a really long article in the NewYorker.com about Barcelona. And, not, and the article is, is titled The Airbnb Invasion of Barcelona. Um, but it's not really just about Airbnb. It, it talks mostly about, um, about you know, how Barcelona is, is a major tourist city. Right, and I, I, I looked up some stats uh, out of curiosity, and so I looked at the 20 most visited cities around the world in 2018, and I was surprised to see Barcelona is on number 18, and we're we're talking about international visitors here, so this is excluding domestic visitors. Uh, so Barcelona is on number 18, which is uh, which is pretty high, given that it's just a city of 1.6 million. Um, Inhabitants, so it's a fairly a fairly small city if you think about it internationally. Um, but just to quickly go down the list, because it's always fun to hear stats. Uh, Bangkok is number one with 22 million international visitors. Then London, 20 million. Paris, 18. Dubai is number four, 16 million. Then Singapore, 15. And then New York, number six with 14 million. Kuala Lumpur. In Malaysia, 13 million. Istanbul, Turkey, 12. Tokyo, 12 million. And number 10 is Antalya, which is really surprising. It's a very, mm. it's a, it's a, it's a small city. Actually, I think it's fairly small. It's on the coast in Turkey. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very popular destination in Europe for people who want to escape the cold in the north and and, and get. It's like a resort, a resort place, right? Exactly. Yeah. So 11 yeah. million visitors. That's a lot. Wow. Uh, then, then number 11 is Seoul in South Korea with 10 million. Phuket in Thailand, which is also kind of a, a resort. It's not really, a, yeah, it, it is a city, but most people uh, who visit Phuket go to the smaller beach resorts. It's, it's, a, it's actually an island. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one, number 12. Then it's Mecca in, in Mecca in Saudi Arabia. Uh, yeah, well, that's a, it's because it's Mecca. That's for yeah, <laughs> right, for images, right? Religious uh, purposes. Yeah. And there's Pattaya in Thailand, also a beach resort with almost mm. 10 million. Man, that, a lot of people go to Thailand on holiday. Yeah. Um, and then 15 is Palma de Mallorca, which is a city on, on Mallorca. It's an island in, in Spain. Very close, 30 minute flight from Barcelona, actually. 9 mm -hmm. million. And then Milan, Milan, Milan in Italy, mm -hmm. 9 million. Hong Kong. 9 million, and then Barcelona is number 18 with 9 million, and then Osaka and Bali in Indonesia complete the list. But these are, these are just the absolute number of visitors, right? So 
obviously, you know, Barcelona gets a lot of visitors. But but what's even more interesting is to look at the amount of visitors per capita, because Barcelona is a fairly small city. Like New York, for example, has you know more international visitors, but also it's five times the size. And so I, I found some stats on what are the top uh, tourist cities if you measure it per number of visitor arrivals per inhabitant. And guess what? On number one, by a really, really wide margin, is Dubai. Uh, mm-hmm. With 5.7 visitors per inhabitant. And these are figures over 2015. So it, it might, might have changed a little bit. It means that nobody lives there and a lot of people visit from <laughs> other countries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's exactly right. And also the, the airlines are doing a very good uh, job on, on, the, on right. tourism to Dubai because the, the Middle Eastern airlines, I mean, I flew with Qatar. It's amazing. Like I paid like 550 euros for a return trip from Barcelona to Singapore, which is really cheap. And I mean, I flew with Qatar and it, it's, it was great. They have, they have free internet. I was actually watching my favorite sports team uh, play a soccer match on the plane, uh, and uh, and it was actually it was actually free at least for the first thirty minutes. It was free. Uh, so well, I, I I saw an airplane over this weekend because I was in an airport. I, I forget which airport it was in. It actually had an advertisement on the airplane <laughs> to go to Dubai. And I was like, oh, wow. wow! Like it was like a road like like they had to switch it out every year, you know. So they're having yeah. to repaint the plane oh, wow. <laughs> to, to do this new ad. Anyway, it's funny that you're mentioning that because I was like, I remember thinking that, wow, that's a big amount of spend for advertising. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure these, these airlines probably pay, uh, you know, like five percent of the of the their uh, kerosene, the fuel costs, and the, than other airlines. I imagine. That's true. Oh but, yeah, uh, that's a good point. Yeah. But I mean, these I mean these airlines I fly I've flown with. Ifiat, Emirates, Qatar, and I mean these are just the, by far the best airlines I've ever. Oh, they're flown great! With. I mean, even economy class, like five hundred and fifty euros for a return ticket, is so cheap. And then the service is amazing, like the the technology on board, like the screen, the entertainment, like everything is just great about mm-hmm. airlines, and they're so cheap. So, but uh, obviously that I'm sure that drives a lot of tourists to uh, to Dubai, like uh, Emirates. I love flying with Emirates. And mm-hmm. so you always connect through Dubai. And so, you know, I'm sure lots of people just do, do a stop over there for a couple of days or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, going back to the list, number two is Amsterdam uh, with uh, 2.7 mm. visitors per, in, per capita. So Amsterdam is very small and that's why, that's why mm-hmm. they're so high on the list. There's only like seven, 800,000 people living there. But anyway, going back to Barcelona, it, it's, a, it's like a top 10 city when it comes to um, numbers of visitors, 1.5. And by comparison, uh, New York is, uh, is, is not, not on the top of the list. It's, uh, it's at 0.6 visitors per inhabitant. So, mm-hmm. so obviously, you know, in, you know, when you have so many visitors compared to the amount of people that live there, obviously that causes uh, some, uh, some friction, right? And, mm-hmm. and so this article is, is all about how certain neighborhoods in Barcelona the people are just not happy with, with so many tourists, which I can understand. I mean, look at, for example, look at Venice, right? A place like Venice. I mean, does, does anybody still live in Venice? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. 
and even in Amsterdam too, like in the city center, like most most, people, most Dutch people who live in Amsterdam avoid the city center because it's just so crowded with tourists, especially in the summer. So I completely mm-hmm. understand sort of the uh, the friction that it, that it creates in in cities. Um, but what I what I don't really agree with, well, the thing is when when there's friction, people always they look for somebody to blame, right? That's and right. So you can't really blame. You gotta like get your torch out and go. Kick down somebody's door. Yeah, you can't. You can't blame like ten million people. Like you know what I mean. Like you can't blame the the people for coming. Um, but uh, and so they're they're looking for somebody to blame, and and so Airbnb is just an easy easy scapegoat. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but actually, Airbnb is very restricted in in Barcelona. You you have to have a permit, and the amount of permits are limited. And so I you know. The, but still like about 20% of people that visit Barcelona, uh, 20% of the international visitors stay at an Airbnb. So that's a, that's a decent, decent chunk. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a, that's it about Barcelona. Yeah. You know what that's what, uh, so the, because Airbnb is big enough and new enough to be kind of a fresh target and it's attracting a lot of attention. What the real impact of this is going to be is that, Airbnbs or vacation rentals around the world are going to be legislated just like hotels will be. And so like all the regulations and taxation policy and stuff like that is going to evolve over the next three to five years. And cities are going to make a lot more money. I actually, I'm, I'm sort of throwing you a curveball here, Jasper, but I saw an article that I thought was interesting that uh, the city or the state of Tennessee in the United States they were expecting to get something like 16 million in tax revenues from vacation rentals last year. And they ended up collecting 22 million. And so it was a huge uh, windfall for the government, right? They, they were like, Oh crap. Like we didn't know we should be collecting tax revenue on this. So I think what, what Airbnb is really is doing is actually pushing um, it's it, the result of Airbnb. They're not doing it, but the result is that, that cities are going to wisen up and figure out how to make more money off of vacation rentals than they haven't been before. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds around yeah. the world. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's fair enough, right? I mean, uh, fair enough that the Airbnb uh, people use Airbnb to visit cities uh, pay the same tax as the as when you stay at a hotel. I'd say that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. It's just hopefully that the pendulum doesn't swing too hard one way and then the other. You know what I mean? Because some, in some places, the hotel lobby is actually like throwing vacation rentals under the bus and saying like, oh, all the issues that you have around like, you know, bad actors uh, causing issues, it's all Airbnb hosts or I mean guests, right? yeah. which is not true at all. Um, so anyway, hopefully it doesn't hurt vacation rentals before it starts helping everybody. Yeah. And on that topic, I saw an article in the Guardian uh, that's that says hotel hotels claims Airbnb is killing tourism industry in South Africa and you know it's mm-hmm. funny because because you're right like the you know the hotel industry is always trying to uh, trying to paint like a super black picture around the uh, Airbnb and vacation rentals and everything but I've, <laughs> I've never actually uh, heard how, that the hotel industry was claiming that Airbnb is actually killing the tourism oh, tourism that's right. <laughs> like tourism as a whole you know like tourism the tourism industry uh, so I read the article it was just kind of it was kind of uh, it's kind of funny to read it uh, because obviously obviously that's just complete nonsense but even in the article uh, they they stated that um, that Airbnb grew by 65 percent but they're still 
are still relatively small in South Africa compared to the hotel industry. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. Because, <laughs> because the hotels, and then they state that the hotel sector only saw an increase of 0.08%. Yeah. Um, so that essentially means that the hotels industry didn't gr- grow, right? Almost right. zero. And so apparently not growing is, is a- a- equivalent to being killed. I guess, right. you know, they're stating that Airbnb is killing the tourism industry, uh, but they were still able to grow. So I don't know how, how you can combine those two. If you're, I mean, in my opinion, if you kill something, then it's not growing, is it? <laughs> well, well, also, isn't, doesn't South Africa, Africa have some like political instability? So that I bet they're just experiencing like not as much growth in the economy in general. And so I bet they're just like what you were saying before, they're looking for someone to blame, right? So like... Mm-hmm another easy target. Um, I, I don't know about the political situation in South Africa, but I just, I, I had spoke to somebody recently and they said that it wasn't the easiest place to live right now. So anyway, maybe that has to do with it. Yeah, it could be. Um, I know Airbnb has grown quite, uh, quite rapidly um, because uh, Cape Town has been a very Airbnb friendly uh, city. Mm. Um, but that, that, that might change actually, because I think they're working on some regulations now. So we'll, we'll see what, what happens there. Um, well, I wanted to uh, discuss two more things. So first of all, did you, and this is actually, uh, this happened a couple of weeks ago, but did you, did you notice that the uh, security deposit uh, policy has changed on Airbnb? Yes, we just heard about this from some customers, but I think you know the details more. Yeah, I do. I, I send out an email actually to my email list. And if you haven't signed up, you can, you can do so at getpaidforyourpad.com. Uh, but the security deposit is something that I always felt like was, was not a very good functionality on, on the Airbnb platform. And I, I did a video and a, and a blog post about this a while ago. But it, it, it wasn't really a security deposit. Because the idea behind a security deposit is that you know, it's, it's secure. And so... Mm-hmm the money should be reserved on the credit card in case there's damages so that the person is actually able to pay, right? But if you don't claim the money, if you don't uh, reserve it on the credit card, which Airbnb didn't used to do, then you know there's no point calling it a, a security deposit. It's, it's really nothing because if the person doesn't have any, any, any room on their credit card, then you can't charge it. Um, and so I guess Airbnb has uh, realized that it was kind of nonsense to call it a security deposit if it's really not. And so they've changed it now. And so now they're actually going to reserve on the credit card. They're going to authorize the credit card for the amount of the security uh, deposit. So that's a, that's a, a pretty positive change. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they're rolling out these changes in all areas. Like I got an email from Airbnb that they're, that they're going to uh, change this um, in in uh, in my area in Cali in Colombia, uh, but uh, it could be that in some areas they they're not rolling it out yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that um, uh, I I can go back and check, but I'm not sure how how it's supported in the Airbnb API either, because you know sometimes the functionality that they rolled out on the booking platform is not made available in the, in the API, and for this one specifically. I think we got heads up that it's coming, but I'm not sure if it's live yet, so I'd have to check. Anyway, interesting. Uh, it definitely a good, better. It's a move in the right direction, I think, though. We have customers who've been asking for this. 
So just to give you guys the full update on the Airbnb security deposit, it's changed in four ways. Airbnb will now authorize the amount of the security deposit on the guest's credit card 40, 48 hours before check-in. Uh, number two, if, if you don't set a security deposit, they will set one for you based on certain factors such, such as the reservation amount. So that's a big change as well. If you don't uh, if you don't set a security deposit, and this is not true for all listings, but Airbnb may set one for you. Um, number three, if Airbnb is unable to authorize the security deposit, you can actually cancel the reservation up to 36 hours before the check-in. And number four, Airbnb may display the security deposit more prominently. So I think those changes are, are all good. The only question that I have that I think is a little unclear is they say they, they will authorize it 48 hours before check-in and then you can cancel up to 36 hours before check-in if they're unable to uh, authorize the security deposit on the guest card, which, which basically means that you have 12 hours to cancel, right? If they, if they try to authorize 48 hours in advance and it doesn't, it doesn't work, there's no room on the credit card or mm -hmm. for other reasons, then you can only cancel the reservation up to 36 hours before check-in. So you only have a 12-hour window. So you do need to be uh, quick uh, to cancel. But I'm assuming you can cancel uh, penalty-free, by the way. So if somebody, somebody books your place and is not able to, uh, doesn't have enough room in their credit card to, uh, um, for the security deposit, then you're allowed to cancel that reservation, but you only have 12 hours so that's a uh, that's a good uh, that's a good shift. That's a good uh, improvement on on the security deposit. Well, essentially, what it means is it, it's now a security deposit where before it wasn't. Uh, but you still, and this is really important, you still you have to file a claim through the resolution uh, process. You still have to make a claim within 14 days of checkout or before a new guest checks in. And I've always felt like that's. A little bit unreasonable because if you have big back-to-back -back bookings, that basically means that you know the the cleaning person has to has to check for all damages um, because before the next guest check in, you have to uh, report the incident and submit a claim. So you really only have a few hours if you have back-to-back mm. -back bookings, which is kind yeah, of that's pretty tight. Yeah, it's very tight because you need to you need to submit submit evidence, so you need to take pictures and you need to file a claim, and and so if you miss if you miss that deadline, then you know you can't uh, you can't um, actually get the money from the security deposit. Well, unless you contact Airbnb and you complain like a hundred times, then uh, that sometimes works. I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but you got to be a squeaky wheel, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah you got to be like be proactive. Um, finally, before we finish this podcast, I wanted to mention that the mastermind. Uh, event that I'm organizing together with Eric is actually happening in Puerto Rico, June 27th until July 1st. Uh, we've a lot of congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, it's 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 uh, it's going to be. Su I'm super excited about this, um, and we've secured a a really cool villa that has like 11 bedrooms. So we'll be able to host most of the participants in the villa and then some of the people will be uh, accommodated at, at the nearby hotel. But uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool property in uh, Puerto Rico. It's on the beach. And so it's going to be a three-day program. 
uh, a good amount of people have uh, have applied, and uh, we've started uh, making calls with those people to see if they're uh, good fits for for the event. And so, just to give a quick description of the event, there's going to be 25 participants who all have 25 units or more or uh, at least $1 million in revenue. And so the idea behind this mastermind is really to get some of the top operators involved um, because there's no, there's no real platform for, for those people to learn, right? If you, if you have like 50 listings and you, you have very different challenges than if you have uh, one or two or three listings. And so we really wanted to get some of the top operators um, together uh, to, to brainstorm, to mastermind, uh, and to build relationships with other people that are uh, playing at a similar level in in the uh, in the industry. Um, so, if you are a big operator and you're listening to this, whether you're a property manager or whether you're doing uh, releasing or you've invested in lots of properties, um, if you're interested, then you can go to getpaidforyourpad.com/str. So that stands for a short-term rental. Um, and you'll be redirected to the application page where you can then apply and then you will get a, uh, a phone call from either me or Eric to, to discuss uh, whether this uh, event is a good fit for you or not. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be super, super interesting to get all these people together. I'm super excited. So quickly uh, give the details on the event and on the application page. There's more, there's more information as well. Um, but it's, so it's going to be June 27th. Thursday night, we, we kick it off and then we end uh, on Sunday night, Sunday, June 30th. And then the mon- we have the villa until Monday morning. So you can fly out on Monday if you want. So it's going to be a free day event, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The first two days are going to be focused on education, on masterminding, brainstorming, um, just learning from each other. We're we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna give everybody a good overview of who's participating and what type of business they're running, so that people already have uh, an idea of who they want to connect with. Um, and also on Sunday, we're gonna do a an excursion. Uh, we've uh, we've secured a pretty cool adventure slash excursion activity. I don't want to disclose what it is exactly, uh, but it's gonna be super fun. And so I'd say the the whole event is. You know, part of it is educational, part of it is connecting, networking with, uh, with other uh, participants, but part of it is also going to be, it's going to be a really fun experience. It's going to be a cool like travel experience. So um, it's a good combination between education and, and fun. So again, if you want to apply, just, uh, just go to the URL, getpaidforyourpad.com slash str. And that will redirect you to the application page. And if you have any questions about the event, you can also email me at jasper at getpaidforyourpad.com and I'll be happy to answer any questions that you may have. And that's it. Thanks for having me, Jasper. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show, uh, Margo. Always a pleasure. And for the listeners out there, of course, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, until next week. Get paid for your pet.
paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet.